Okay. Good morning. Good to be with you guys. Uh, if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 22. And if you are new or visiting, just want to say glad that you're here. Uh, glad that you get to worship with us. Uh, this is a worship service where we worship Jesus. We believe Jesus was God, that Jesus did come and, and live the life we couldn't live without sin and uh, took on the wrath of God and the weight of sin for us in our place and gifts us righteousness uh, as he takes our sin. And he ascended and lives uh, and rose to give us life and to give us his spirit, empowers us, enables us to actually live and walk as uh, God does desire in his good design. And so we're, we're grateful for that. That's why we sing, sing these songs to remind ourselves as to why God's faithful, as to what God has done, uh, as to how would God be mindful of us and our sin and yet love us uh, in the ways that Christ has. So we rejoice in singing. We sit under uh, the teaching of God's word. That's why we do that during this portion of the service to uh, remind ourselves what God has said and not what we think should be said or what we think we should say. And so uh, it's good to go to the source of who made all things and not uh, to the ones who think they should be the ones to say how things are and how they should be. And we also uh, observe the Lord's Supper each week or communion based upon how you uh, grew up. And we don't believe that uh, the table is something that imparts righteousness to you, but we do believe that it uh, reminds us of the nourishing benefits that we have in Jesus Christ. And so uh, as we come to the table, it also uh, creates the centrality of Jesus in everything that we do. And so he gave this meal to the church um, to say, hey, every time you gather together, remember that it was my blood shed for you and my body broken, so your blood didn't have to be shed, so your body didn't have to be broken for the weight of sin. Um, we're going to see that in a, in a more deep way this morning as we look at uh, the prayer of Gethsemane. Uh, and we also just uh, worship by being generous. We give on the silver boxes in the back wall. And I always say, if you're not a regular attender or a member, please do not feel compelled in any way, shape, or form to give. We are not interested. We want you to, to love Jesus, to know him, to know a God who does exist, who has spoken and has revealed uh, his son. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the uh, prayer of Gethsemane, which I've been looking forward to walking in with you this morning. God, thank you that we have the scriptures. Thank you that we can uh, hear from you. Thank you that you've spoken in creation. You've spoken through your son. You've spoken in uh, the written revelation of the Word of God. So thank you for not being silent. Thank you for not um, uh, remaining veiled, uh, but for unveiling yourself. Uh, for us to know you, love you, walk with you, uh, and be identified by you. Uh, help us this morning, those who are heavy laden, anxious, distressed, depressed, discouraged. God, thank you that you're a God that identifies with weakness, identifies with pain, identifies with sorrow. A God is not a force, but a father. Uh, thank you that that's who you are. And I pray we'd enjoy you in that way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what we're doing is we're taking just four weeks to look at the prayers of Jesus. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was God in human flesh. So uh, Jesus' prayers were perfect prayers. So um, if you want to learn how to pray, if you want to grow in prayer, we thought let's just uh, do something a little bit outside of our normal diet. Normal diet is basically taking a book of the Bible and just walking through that book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line by line, so we would see the, all that God would want to say to us in the Scriptures. That's an important way to study the Bible, an important way to preach the Bible, and every Every so often, we uh, feel led and drawn to uh, just taking you through aspects of the Scripture that we think would be helpful and right and good for us as God's people. And this is one of those times where we just uh, see that these four weeks is just kind of camping out, and the prayers of Jesus would be helpful for us uh, to grow us all as a church in prayer, but also just in our own hearts and minds and families as we uh, come together to seek the one active agent, this whole thing, the Holy Spirit of God, uh, reminding ourselves that He's sufficient and we're really not, that He uh, dwells 
wills in all things, does all things, is in charge of all things, is sovereign in all things, and we're not. So um, it's good to come to the one who is the active agent who can actually dispense uh, what's necessary for us as his children. So last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer. This week we're going to look at the Gethsemane Prayer. And then next week we're going to look at the High Priestly Prayer and probably take two weeks with that. So um, just a reminder of last week. We talked about what prayer is. So instead of getting out your theological chart and writing out like some diagram in Hebrew and Greek that doesn't really make any sense. It's just conversing with God. It's just communicating with God. That's what prayer is. Uh, Prayer is a way that we get to know him, not just get things from him. Uh, God has given us lanes through the empowerment of his spirit to access him through the mediator, Jesus Christ. So uh, our prayers are to be Trinitarian in nature because our God is a Trinitarian God. Uh, We believe in one God with three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is important to know because um, we pray to the Father through the Son, enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's how Jesus prayed. It's, it's wonderful to even see him. You'll see um, him pray that way uh, this morning. And so um, understand God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they've been existing with one another from eternity past and will to eternity future. They've been conversing and communicating, and we are made in the image and likeness of God, are we not? And so sin separated us from God. So that, that communication has been fractured. It's been uh, graved apart. And so Christ comes, Christ reconciles us back to God and now allows us to be reunited in communication and in image bearers of God in its fullest sense, right? As, as best we can in this progressive sanctification time we're in until we reach glory. And so um, that's what we learned about prayer. We also learned last week that um, you don't know how to pray. You need to learn how to pray. Like, like you, don't, you don't wake up knowing how. Um, it's not just in your DNA strands. Uh, you're born a broken sinner uh, in need of uh, reconciling and reworking and rewiring what's wrong in us. And Christ does that. And once he indwells us and we trust in his work and his merits and his sacrifice, uh, he gives us a spirit that empowers and enables and teaches us how to pray. And so um, you learn to pray. We learned last week by watching others pray, by being with others who pray. Shorter is not better. Longer is not better. What's holy is to talk Talk to God and know that he's a father, that he's hallowed, that he gives us our needs and never leads us towards temptation to sin. And so um, what we're going to see this morning is Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. Now, this is encouraging. If you find yourself in a painful season, suffering season, hard season, Jesus shows us that prayer uh, is a massive gift, especially in those times and moments. Uh, Listen, if you haven't hit a dark season, suffering season, painful season, you will. So I'll just stock this away in your little, you know, filing cabinet spiritually for later. If you think that life will never confront you, surprisingly, you're you're lying to yourself. You're self-deceived. Um, Jesus actually promised you would. Uh, Jesus didn't promise a life of ease and, and freedom from pain. He said, in this life, actually, you're gonna have a lot of tribulation, uh, but take heart, of overcome the world, and the peace you're gonna have is from me, right? Not from the world, not what the world gives. That's what Jesus says. Um, check that with a lot of teachings out there, right? So, so here's what we want to see is that Jesus has paved the road before us in his steps, and we're gonna imitate him for our joy and God's glory. So it's okay to p- pray painful prayers. I would actually argue it's very holy to pray painful prayers. Um, it's very holy to pray through agony and through suffering and through darkness. Um, and what you're also gonna notice is that much of the Lord's Prayer is woven into this prayer. 
Um, so if you're here last week, that's a bonus for you, and it's going to be an exciting morning. Luke chapter 22, look at verse 39. Here's what Luke writes. And he came out, this is Jesus, and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him, and when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. So um, just some context for you. Jesus just left the upper room where he was with the disciples and followers, and, and he heads to the Mount of Olives. That, that basically is the Garden of Gethsemane, which Mount of Gethsemane itself just means olive press. So uh, you'll read Matthew's account, I think in Matthew 26, uh, where that's the Garden of Gethsemane prayer. You'll also see here Luke uh, 22. This is his uh, observation of this. This is his inspiration of this, and, and both accounts give you some cool nuances in different ways, but um, he heads to this. This was apparently his custom. This is what he did. This is where he went. Um, I've actually been there. It is a, a tremendously beautiful place because um, some olive trees can last 2,000 to 3,000 years, depending on the type and kind. Average lasts like 1,500 years. I was like, I got to I'm here. I'm probably only here once. I got to break off a small branch and frame it. I don't think you're supposed to. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So I, I, I broke one off, got it for my wife for a Christmas gift, most holy, beautiful gift I've ever been able to give her. Um, I stare at that thing sometimes at home just for hours. Uh, but, but, but in all seriousness, it, it brings me back to this place. It, it reminds me of the, in the difficult days and the dark days that Jesus himself prayed through darkness, prayed through agony, prayed through suffering. And so um, here Jesus is. Is, and notice, he encourages the disciples to pray that they might not be led into temptation. Sound familiar? That's the Lord's Prayer. Pray that I wouldn't be led into temptation. Not that God leads you into temptation. He never does, so you want to follow his leading. Right? He'll never ask you of something that leads to harm. He'll never instruct you in something that leads to death. It only leads to life. And so here you'll see, he's even encouraging the disciples themselves to not be led into temptation. You're going to be tempted to deny me, to desert me, to not trust me. Uh, and that happens with a few, right? So he's praying that they would not be led into temptation. And this reminds us also, even the disciples are sinners, which means we're sinners, which means we need to develop and grow in this discipline of prayer. Like no one's arrived. It's encouraging. Uh, he's even telling his closest followers, hey, you, you, I'm going to pray you're not led into temptation, that you need to pray that you not be led, led into temptation. Um, this is why it's so dangerous. Uh, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. As soon as you think like your spiritual barometer has reached the summit, uh, you need to be shaking a bit in your boots, right? Remembering that, that Christ needs to continually grow us in all of these aspects and areas. And, and it's important to understand where also Jesus is up to this point. So up to this point, he was just betrayed by Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12. And um, he actually had just recited a text from Isaiah 53, verse 12, I believe, 700 years prior, where Isaiah said, um, God's going to send a suffering servant. He will be a servant, and Jesus will be named among the transgressors. So, so here, Jesus is well aware of what's before him. He realizes the crucifixion's well before him. He realizes the, the pain and the agony and the, the betrayal has happened, that the, the mocking's going to ensue, that wrath's going to be poured out. He's, he's anticipating the worst day of his life. Um, so he feels the brunt of this. He feels the, the weight of this. This was a huge turning point in Jesus's life. And here we see Jesus in the face of agony, in the face of unspeakable suffering in his soul, being the perfect example for us. He chooses to pray. Um, you ever find that when you're, when you're suffering, you think it's an excuse to sin? And not to pray. Jesus is our example. He runs to God. He doesn't run to sin. 
Most of us think, well, I'm suffering, so I'll self-medicate, I'll go shopping, I'll just work, be a workaholic, I'll identify with all these other gods and vices and forces because I'm suffering, I deserve something. Instead of running to God, taking your cares to God, taking your suffering to God, you take it to a hobby or you take it to a habit or you take it to sin thinking that sin will somehow secure you and give you help and give you time, help in time of need when really it just always continually, effortlessly betrays you. Um, And here we see Jesus modeling when you are grieving, when you are broken, you don't run to sin, you run to God in prayer. You go to the source, you go to the active agent. Uh, You plead with him for help. It's beautiful to see in darkness, trouble, despair, only hope is to run to God in prayer. And it says this was his custom. Um, This means that this was something that was uh, often, it was his place. So my question is, do do you have a place Um, this is really important in prayer. If you just expect to magically wake up and the prayer pixie dust is gonna fall every morning and you're just gonna kind of walk into this beautiful prayer life, you're fooling yourself. Like, Like, where's the discipline and rhythms where you're cultivating a place or space to where prayer can be developed? Um, for me, might sound crazy because the way people drive in New Jersey, my car is like my temple. Like, like it's just, it's out of the home, it's away from this place, it's every morning in my car is the most beautiful, quiet, unless I'm doing something that I don't realize I'm doing, because that's what New Jersey drivers do here, they let you know you're doing things you didn't realize you were doing all the time, but outside of that, I just, those are my sweetest moments where I just start talking to the Lord the second I get in my car in the morning. And there's, I've said this many times, amidst confessing sin, amidst just asking God for help with anxieties and burdens and, and stresses and, and family, things happening, I always pray one consistent, continuous prayer. God, just give me faithfulness today. I ask him every morning. I can't remember the last time I didn't ask him that. God, keep me faithful today to my family. Like, give me faithfulness to who you've laid before me to shepherd today. Help me be faithful with the mans you give me today. Let me forget about tomorrow. Past sins are forgiven, past mistakes, past failures, past regrets. I don't know what's happening tomorrow. I think I do, but I don't really know. You could bring something over the hill that I don't see. So keep me faithful today. Like, help me to zero in on every bit of what you asked me to do today. It's a great prayer to pray. Um, so that's one place, and then, and then normally uh, on Thursdays, usually when it finds itself after the staff leaves, is when I, I come in here, and it's just no one's in the building, and I come down front, and I just pour my heart out to God. It's just a, a great custom for me. It's a great place. There's nothing magical about uh, what the, the, the place or the act. It's just creating a rhythm in your heart to grow in prayer. Um, so, so for you, I don't know, you know your rhythms, you know the seasons you're in, but Jesus models something beautiful here. It was his custom. It was something he did regularly, and it grew him in prayer with the Father. And notice that he kneels down to pray. You know, most people in that day stood when they prayed. Um, Jesus is just modeling submission. He's just modeling surrender. He's just modeling that his Father knows what's best. It's not more holy to kneel, but he's, he's teaching something. He's instructing something. He's showing that it's this beautiful picture of this is the humility in Jesus, the humanity in Jesus that he's demonstrating. You you know what this shows? It reveals a lot about who you are when you pray, does it not? Um, Prideful people pray arrogant prayers. Selfish people pray selfish prayers. Humble people pray humble prayers. (laughs) Right? Does that not just come out when you pray? What your loves are, what your likes are, what you're after? 
A lot is revealed when we pray. Look at verse 42. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus begins to pray how he just instructed us last week to pray in Luke 11. You start by praying, approaching God as Father. And he says, Father, remember our prayers are Trinitarian, right? We pray to the Father through the Son by the enablement and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Trinitarian God is co-eternal and co-equal. And here you have an amazing picture of the uh, second member of the Trinity, uh, God the Son, who came in human flesh, speaking to the first member of the Trinity, God the Father, enabled and empowered by the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And then he's having this prayer time with God the Father as the Son through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowered his ministry. You see that throughout the scriptures. And here he's talking and he's praying the Lord's prayer. You're gonna see this. He's just starting out with Father. He's reminding us even as he prays, as the disciples are even near in Matthew 26, they can hear him praying that he's approaching his God as Father. He does the same. God is not a force. Right? God is a person. God exists. God is a being. God feels. God knows. He's, he's not only this tremendous, eternal, sovereign, strong, holy king. He knows every hair on your head. Right? He knows every dark moment of your day. He knows every fear in your mind. He knows every fear in your heart, every worry. He's not just ultimate. He's intimate. And Jesus understands this about his father. It's amazing. And can you just feel in this moment, like for a minute, if you're, if, if you're with Jesus, he's like, Father, they're on their way to arrest me. The suffering before me is unbearable. They're gonna do everything Isaiah said they would do to me, scourge me, mock me, spit on me, beat me, whip me. He's thinking through all of these things. If there's, if there's any other way to do this, please. This is his humanity coming out, right? He, he's speaking with God this way. And then he says, but if not, okay, your will, right? I mean, it's just the Lord's prayer. Pray that his kingdom would come, his will would be done. He's just praying as he taught the disciples to pray. Help me to align, keep aligning my will with your will, right? Help me remember that my will is your will. And I love this. He, he's submitting here to the Father, but he's submitting to a love that would never let him go. So it's not just some God who's just gonna like pour out wrath on his son. It's, it's a love that's not gonna let him go. It's a love that is involved in this. It's a father that cares, a father that knows, a father that gives what is best for their children. It's how he's approaching God the Father here, which is why Jesus can pray like a crazy statement, a remarkable statement. I mean, really, if, if we're gonna pray this, there has to be something happening in us that's so deep and profound spiritually Jesus can, can pray this, not my will, but yours be done, because he's praying to him as Father. Now listen, he, he's submitting here, right? Now I want you to understand something about submitting as you read this text, because the Bible uses the language of submission all over the place. It doesn't mean when you necessarily agree. In fact, I'd argue submission is when you don't necessarily agree, Listen, this is not submission. Hey, man, I really want chocolate chip cookies. Hey, I really want chocolate chip cookies. Okay, I'll submit to that, right? You're not submitting, right? You're agreeing. You're not having to submit to that. Um, submission is when you're having a hard time coming to an agreement, 
but you still believe and trust it's best, right? Um, this is what you're seeing here in his humanity. Jesus is coming to the Father saying, man, I know the plan that we agreed to from eternity past. I know that it was the Son of God that would be the agent in the forgiving of human sin. I'm just, I'm just struggling with that in my humanity. Man, it's distressing. It's agonizing. It's this cup of wrath is before me. I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble with this. Jesus is praying this, right? But he's ultimately submitting and agreeing to something that he's not necessarily feeling great about because he trusts the Father, because he trusts who God is, because he trusts what God will do. He trusts what God has done. Listen, that's why he says, if not, your will be done. Let my will be your will. I want you to see that submission is strong. Submission's not weak, as culture likes to paint it. Submission's strong. It can be vocal. It can be emotional. It can be honest, all while being totally and truly submissive. That encouraging? See, this is why prayer changes us. Some of us, we just pray to change God. No, prayer is really just to change you. It's to line up your will with his will, not change his will. And you see this, right? It brings us into alignment with his kingdom and will. Man, we want everything to be like, man, God, I spoke, and it should now come into existence, right? That's how we want to act. Man, God, I, I want an answer. It's important. God's like, um, I'm important, and you knowing my will's important. Well, God, I just, I want to be free from this. God, if you just give me an answer, man, all of my life would go better. And God's going, I don't know. If I gave you the answer about what's coming tomorrow, you might not sleep tonight. Right? Like, like God just knows. He's Father. He's in charge. He, he tells us what we need to know. He withholds what we don't need to know. This is why prayer is not about you changing God's will, but God changing your will. That's what prayer is. It's not like you're trying to twist God's arm. God's arm can't be twisted. He knows what he's going to do, and he's used prayers as a means to keep accomplishing his good, pleasing, perfect will. We get to participate in that. That's a beautiful gift. But the job of prayer is not for the human agent to say, I'm going to transcend and change the creative agent. It's to sit submissively and brokenly and even agonizingly at times and say, but God, at the end of the day, man, align my will with yours. Because you're a father, you go before me, you're hallowed, you're perfect. You're not going to bait and switch on me. You know my needs, give me my needs, not my greeds. I'll keep following you because you promise not to lead to temptation, Right? That's how we learn how to pray, by looking at this in Jesus. God says, you need to know who I am and that I go with you. I'm Father. If you have children, man, what's the comfort for them? That dad has all the answers or that they have his hand? Right? Dad knows where he's going. They don't know everything. Jackson doesn't have a clue, right? I mean, just yesterday, out in Ridgewood, almost got hit by like 17 trucks. Every time, I'm like, dude, get over here, right? And just grabbing his hand. Oh, I couldn't see. He can't see a lot. All he needs to know is dad has his hand. And this is how God's approaching us. This is how we approach God in prayer. This is a, a beautiful picture from, from God the Father. Many times you don't need answers from God. You need the presence of God so that you can understand God and you can trust God. Because whenever the storm comes, there's usually four ways that we react, right? Fright, freaking out. Flight, just running out of here. Fight, just going to rail against him. Or faith, I'm going to trust God. I'd argue the, the last one's the best one which leads to fruitfulness and joy and refuge. That's why I want you to understand we battle our grief, we battle our pain, we battle our sorrow, we battle our confusion with God by bringing our confusion and pain and agony to God.
That's what Jesus does. That's how Jesus operates, how Jesus prays. I say that because we have no idea how to grieve. We really don't. Um, Our culture doesn't have a category for grief. Uh, Some of us grew up thinking, just bury your frustrations, keep quiet, just keep on singing, right, on Sundays. Um, Talk to most people when you walk in here Sunday mornings. How you doing? Great. How you doing? Good. Glad we got to catch up. (laughs) Good good chat, right? You, You talk to Jesus through the inspired scriptures in Gethsemane. Jesus, how you doing? Not good today. I don't know, it might get better. No, actually, in the coming days, it will be the worst of my entire human life. But I trust him. But I'm with him. But I have him. It's what Jesus models. It's what Jesus shows. Verse 43. I love this because the garden's honest. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. I love that angels are sent to minister to God. Angels are just created spirit beings, and they're usually agents of ministry and messages. You see them announce the birth of Jesus in Luke. They bring messages. They're also agents of ministry. You see when he's tempted in the wilderness, angels come and minister to him. They come and minister to him here. And as they're ministering to Jesus, he's in such distress about what is ahead that he starts sweating drops of blood. Some of you know the medical term, hermodidrosis, where actually your glands can literally burst because you're in such agony that, that your brow starts to become red with water. Um, just showing that his distress was so bad and so serious. This was not like, I just didn't pay my mortgage this month. This wasn't like, Man, I've got the flu. Like this wasn't, you know, Jesus, my son broke his arm. This is, I am distressed to the point of death. Like I just don't feel like I can move on. I don't feel like I can go forward. I don't feel like I, I have the, the ability to continue walking in this darkness, right? I mean, I mean, have you not been there if you've lived for some good length of time? Now, why is Jesus in unbearable distress though? Like, why is it unbearable for him? Why is it agony? Is it just crucifixion? Is it that, man, he just sees the crucifixion is really brutal because a lot of men went before him and were crucified. This was common in the day. So Jesus wasn't participating in something through crucifixion that was not, un, was not, not common. Is that what he was feeling? Was it just that he was going to be mocked? Was he the agony over his betrayal from, from Judas? What, what, what is this unbearable distress? And you just read it in the previous text. This is why he continues to pray earnestly. Jesus was facing, unlike any other man, the agony, knowing he would endure, absorb, and appease the full wrath of God towards sin. He was going to do something no other human could, no other human would do. This is Jesus going, Father, this cup, if this cup can be removed from me, right? He's just echoing the Old Testament, all the places where the cup is referred to as the wrath of God. That is, that is God's right, just anger towards sin, toward the belittlement of his name, toward the belittlement of his glory. This is who God is. He's infinite in perfections. This cup is the cup of God's wrath and anger towards sin. I say this because I love you. You cannot appreciate God's love without understanding the wrath of God. And the scriptures talk about it repeatedly, that there needs to be a propitiation, a a removal, an appeasement. 
And here's, here's what's nuts. Hebrews 12 is going to say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That, that despite tremendous agony, distress, weight towards what he's going to walk into, there was, there was joy mixed in there. Now, now here I just want to encourage you and just, just shatter your spiritual lens for just a moment. Um, part of the joy set before him was that he knew he would purchase for the father sons and daughters. Like part of him walking through the agony of knowing the cup he would drink so you and I didn't have to drink it was so that you and I would be free. That gave Jesus joy submitting to the Father and that's, that's part of the joy set before him. Have you ever thought about what God has given you in Christ in the gospel? Have you ever thought about how you're a sinner? You're not perfect. You treat people wrong. You do things that are heinous and that God still, despite you, keeps loving you. Have you ever thought about that, that it gave him joy that even in your sin, he would go for you? Anyways, side sermon. Here's what we must understand. Jesus died the death you and I deserved. And the Bible uses a word called propitiation. And this, this is so important for your prayer life because you begin to understand how Jesus prays in the midst of this so that we can pray in the midst of distress and anguish and sorrow. I mean, propitiation is very simply that God's wrath is upon us. There's a cup we are to drink. And Jesus steps in our place and takes the cup and drinks it himself. And that he bleeds, suffers, and dies so that we might live in joy and live in life and live in freedom. And he ascends and is alive so that we might know the joy of what he has done for us. We might know the substitutionary way that he took our place so that we would have greater joy in our salvation. And listen, the reason that this is so important and the reason I say this is because I love you. There's a whole movement to deny this. There, there are pastors and people that want to avoid this, ignore this, divert this, manipulate this. Now let's just read it for what it is. You want to understand the love of God? You better understand the wrath of God. You want to understand salvation? Understand what debt you owed. <laughs> you want to understand what he freed you from? Know what you needed to be freed from. You understand the payment for sin? Understand what was due for the payment of sin? You want to understand how unholy you are? Understand how holy he is. Like if you start diminishing him and elevating you, salvation gets so weird. All of a sudden it becomes this nuanced, kind of like non-existent, equalizing, why do I need that? Which is why I would argue many people in the church don't really care about their salvation, don't dwell on their salvation, don't love the gospel, don't want to keep hearing the gospel because it didn't really do anything. I don't know, it just tweaked an old version of your old self. I read it makes you new. I read it saves you, makes you were dead, now you're alive. You weren't spiritually breathing, now you got a heartbeat. You were spiritually undiscerning, now he makes you spiritually discerning that you literally see the world different, you see life different, you see culture different, you see decisions different, you see sin different, you see your family different, you see yourself different, you see the Bible different, you see, we keep going? This what, this what, yes. <laughs> one, one brother. We'll chat after service for a couple minutes. Romans 3 says blood was shed as part of the propitiation. Hebrews 2 says him being our high priest made a propitiation for sin. 1 John 2 and 1 John 4 says he made a propitiation for sin. You'll see it all over the Bible. You can't get away from it. You can do, I don't know, hermeneutical gymnastics to try to somehow weasel your way through. 
But this is such good news for us, guys. This isn't terrifying news. It's terrifying before Christ. And hopefully it's a terrifying reality that leads you to the cross. That then you find mercy and help and all of a sudden you're, he's father now. That's what's crazy. Now, now when you know this infinitely holy, just God calls you son and daughter. I mean, your heart wells up in ways it never could before. So I want you to understand real quick in the midst of this, the father heart of God in this text, because many read this and view, okay, God the father's the hate-filled, wrath-filled, just gonna kill his son. And the son's the nice, meek, humble one going, okay, just do it. It's a wrong way to read the Bible. That's not what you're seeing here. And I'll tell you, this is so common. This is not God the father being so angry that he punishes Jesus. Man, you have to understand, God the Father and God the Son agreed that the plan for the forgiving of human sin would be the death of the Son from eternity past. That they were, they're now having this amazing moment where they're conversing about what they've already agreed to do. That's why Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down. Okay, Jesus, Jesus willingly does this. And what you're seeing is the humanity in Jesus saying, man, I know this conversation we've had from eternity past, right? I know the, the Trinitarian nature of who we are, that man, I know that I, I am the best way. I know I'm the solution. I know I'm the agent. I'm the plan. I know there's no other way that human sin can be forgiven. I know we've agreed to this, but it's just hard for me. I just want to talk about it. In his humanity, he's talking about it. The decision that he's already willfully made with the Father from eternity past. That's what you're seeing here. This isn't some cosmic, weird, angry God. He's the wrathful one. Jesus is always the nice one. No, he's the same God. Like you, you have to see the text and see the scriptures and see what God's saying and see what God's talking about here. This is amazing. That's why Jesus says further, if you see the Son, you see the Father. You know what this also means? Jesus is a mirror, Hebrews 1, exact imprint of God the Father. You know what you're seeing in Jesus' grieve? You're seeing the Father grieve. God's not up in heaven going, oh, I've waited for this day. I can't wait to smite you. I hadn't said that. I've heard people say that. It's not biblical. The father's grieving with the son in their agreement of this plan. That's amazing. Like, that's what you're seeing here. You're seeing a Trinitarian just mind-blowing scene with Jesus praying. And Jesus saying, I knew this day would come. I'm having distress about that. It's not that I'm not willing. I'm willing. But in my humanity, I'm struggling. That's why, man, I love the Bible because it's just honest. Listen, the Bible would not be honest if it was written by religious people. Religious people don't know how to comfort. They just give a verse and walk away, right? Like they, they, don't, they don't know how to engage. They don't know how to listen. They don't, if it was not inspired by God himself, man, this Bible would not be honest. If it was written by a bunch of religious people, it wouldn't be honest. That's why I love what you're seeing here. God the Father doesn't say, just deal with it, get up. You know it's going to come, quit your crying. God doesn't say that. God the Father grieves with the Son. Because as you see the Son grieve, you're seeing the Father grieve. And this is why if you read Matthew's account, it's amazing. He actually does this three times. He goes away, and then he comes back. He goes away, and then he comes back. He goes, Father, just one more time. Is there any other way out of this? 
Not my will, but your be done. But man, I'm distressed. I'm in agony. I'm having a hard time. So listen, if you're in a season of suffering, Jesus gives you permission to be honest. Did you know that? But by looking at his prayer life, that Jesus was honest in his prayers, and in those moments, dear friend, it is totally reasonable to go to God and say, I don't know if I can get through this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm devastated. I got a lot of verses. I got no answers. And that is totally okay. Jesus did this in his full humanity. Yet without sin. So that we could walk in his footsteps and imitate him and follow in his place. This is why praying honestly to God leads to intimacy with God. Praying honestly with God leads to intimacy with God. Because the father Jesus is speaking to is the same father that we get to speak to because of Jesus. So we have access to this father now because of Jesus. The reason we have this father, this, this father God, is because Jesus didn't just stand on his mountaintop and look down and say, figure it out. He, he came down, he bared our sin, became our sin, gifts righteousness, appeased and propitiated the wrath of God for us so that we might live and love and see Jesus and enjoy him as now having him as our high priest that sympathizes with us. So now we can say, I'm frustrated and distressed, Jesus. I know I sweat drops of blood and I was so distressed. Well, I've lost loved ones, Jesus. I know I I wept over the tomb of my best friend in John 11. Well, I don't know. I feel forsaken and betrayed, Jesus. I know I was forsaken by my own father. Now there's identification there. Now there's a God who's not a force, but he's a father and he's personal and he's good and you can trust him. That's what Jesus is revealing to us in this prayer. Jesus identifies with us in our deepest, darkest pain. He becomes a man and goes where we go. And the path is paid with abandonment and loneliness and grief so that prayer can work in this space. And listen, some of us will never fully understand on this earth what he will unpack for all of eternity for us. This is why Jesus prayed painful prayers. And I want you to know, it's okay to pray painful prayers. You don't have weak faith if you're in a season of suffering and God has not removed it from you. That's not weak faith. Um, There's so much nonsense being taught out there. Like if you just have enough faith, you'll be more rich. If you just have enough faith, you'll just be an overcomer. If you just have enough faith, you'll never be sick. If you just have enough faith, you'll never have trial or, tr- or subrural suffering. I mean, it's so strange as if we'll have just enough faith to not be like Jesus. Let me, just, let me just have enough faith. He was abandoned, he was betrayed, he was sick, he was beaten, he was scorned, he was mocked, he was lonely, he was in anguish. Listen, I would argue, man, there is tremendous faith praying like Jesus saying, if you don't get me out of it, get me through it. Help me to worship Man, help me to enjoy you. Help me to still treasure you. Help me to, man, nothing else will comfort you. Otherwise, it's a constant, I don't know if I have enough faith because this isn't being removed. I mean, the cup wasn't removed from Jesus. And yet he prayed knowing that I can trust my father. I, I don't have, I don't know what's, tomorrow, what's coming tomorrow, but I have trust in the one who does. Right? That's what faith is. Right? Hopelessness is giving in. Faith is giving it to God. Right, I'm trusting him. I'm going to my father. I, I know he's all good. I know he's hallowed. I know he's going to give me my needs, every bit of what I need. Not my greeds, not everything I want. And who's going to lead me right. I got dad's hand. Man, this is deep. This is powerful. This is helpful. I mean, otherwise, man, how, how do you pray when you're betrayed and sick and when the fracture of life bears down on you? How do you pray if it's not removed? 
It's lean me into you. Lean me into him. And listen, God wants to heal. God wants to deliver. God wants to make much of his name. So it's however God wants to be magnified through our requests is what we want. And God's going to be magnified through healing. God's going to be magnified through sustaining you through darkness and trial and suffering. Amen. Right? And so, so we enjoy both aspects of the biblical text. Don't white out. This is why in Jesus' distress, he had a lightning rod that grounded him. He knows who his father is. Listen, if all you have in this life are your feelings, your thoughts, your emotions, you're, you're in big trouble. Because what happens is the second your circumstances shift, your view of God shifts, right? I mean, do we not do this all the time? Good days, God must be good. Bad days, he must be bad. Feeling lonely, he must have left me. I'm struggling, he hates me. I feel good, oh, he must be near me, must love me. No, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, amen? amen. No, don't go with just how you feel. Go with who God is, know his character. So I want to talk about what God is like in this church. Not what you're like, well, yeah, what you're like, but more importantly, what he's like. So that you can enjoy him and trust him and have somewhere to stand. That's what he's showing us here. This is why prayer is how you release pressure. <laughs> how many of you, when, when you have anxiety, trouble, trial, temptation, pressure begins to mount, right? You're just like a ticking time bomb. And a lot of people receive the shrapnel from you, Right? if you're a boss or if you're, you're engaged in something and really has nothing to do with them, it's just you're angry, you're stressed, you're depressed, you're, 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 you're just torn out about things and, and the shrapnel just comes out and prayer's your release valve. Man, Jesus is a supernatural, God in human flesh, atomic bomb. Then he goes to God. He's still meek in his ministry. He's still humble in his ministry. He still doesn't sin in his ministry. And he, and he takes his cares, his distresses, his frustrations to God. This is powerful and profound. Faith is not knowing tomorrow. It's knowing and trusting the one who does. So let me give you two thoughts. One, prayer is how you let God be God and you let you be you. God, you be God, I'll be me. Let me not jump into your job description. I know I want to know, but I need to know the one who knows. I want to control. I'm not in control. I trust the one who is. I'm not God. I am who I am. You're a father. I can draw near to you. You're hallowed. You're not going to change. I can trust you. You will not abandon me because Jesus abandoned me. Or Jesus was abandoned for me. Right? I want you to see one last final thing before we ask God for help. Matthew 26, when Jesus finished praying, look at what he says here in this text. Can you put it up there? Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I just want you to see that his prayer did not change the outcome. It changes the person. His betrayer still came. The cup was still waiting. The day of distress was still present. But man, it changes us. And his prayer connected his will to the Father's will, and it was so deeply connected that he could endure what was ahead. See, today could be one of the best days of your life, friends. 
Man, I don't know what's coming this afternoon, man. It could be the best day of your life or it could be the darkest, hardest afternoon you've ever experienced. I don't know that. I've seen it though, pastoring. When you get the phone call, you know, we had four deaths in four days this past week all connected to CAP. I got a call a day. My, day, my week was brutal. You, you don't know what you're going to wake up to. You don't know what, what's, what's coming tomorrow. You, 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 you're not omniscient. But man, you have a God who is omniscient, who is a father, who's ready to receive you in those moments and allow you to endure and walk through the distress and pain and sorrow. Like, like that, that's the God that we serve. So listen, I mean, either way, your father knows what's coming this afternoon. Like either way, he's going to provide for you and care for you. Either way, he's going to sustain you. Either way, he's going to lift your eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help come from, comes from the God, the sovereign God of heaven and earth. So let me just end with just four questions to reflect on, then we're going to pray. Just four things to think about. Number one, do you pray to get from God or to get God himself? Put that up there. Is it there? Do you pray to get God from God or to get God himself? You know, Jesus prayed out of anguish of losing community with God. That's where the anguish was. He knew he was going to be forsaken. He knew that God was going to turn his face away for a moment. He just wanted his father. Number two, do you pray to change God or for God to change you? This is James 1. Man, trials enter our life because God loves us so much. He wants us full and complete, lacking in nothing. And you know, if he leaves you the way you are, that's not gonna fully form in you the son's work that he has for you. So it's just, what, are, what, what, what is the, I'm just saying, what's the measuring stick? If this is predominantly how you pray, it just reveals something. Number three, do you pray to get out of pain or for God to get you through the pain. I mean, it's okay to ask God to remove the pain. Jesus does. Is there any other way? While also saying, okay, and if it remains, man, give me the ability to endure it so that you can do beautiful things in me, so that you can just produce things in me that cannot be produced otherwise. And number four, just as a loving encouragement as your pastor, do you know that knowing God's will is far easier than walking in it? And did you know that joy in unexpected places happens when you actually walk in the will that God has for you? Hebrews tells us that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Isn't that beautiful? That he learned, tre he learned treasures in his humanity of his Father through suffering. And we do too. Let's ask God to help us with these things. Father, we are needy people. We are people that need your grace. We need your help. We need your strength. We, we need to know you more and, and, and far better than we do. So thank you for uh, revealing who you are in your word. Thank you for revealing your character and nature in your heart through the scriptures. And God, minister to those of us through the power of your Holy Spirit right now. If we're in distress and discouraged and having hardship and a, and a season of pain, if we're not, would you prepare us for that? And then would you, would you make us ministers to others of that? Would you help us care for others as we've been comforted by God in our pain and darkness so that we might comfort others in theirs? Would you do this among us? 
Would you help us to have a biblical understanding of faith and of who you are and what you ask and what you do? And we would pray like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and pray like Jesus in the Lord's Prayer and pray like Jesus in the High Priestly Prayer. Encourage those who need encouragement. And as we take the Lord's table this morning, remind us of the satisfaction of God because of you drinking the cup and us not having to. In Jesus' name, amen.